You're listening to Ingenuism's Silicon Valley Examined, where we delve into how the tech industry is helping create progress at the speed of thought. I'm Dom Watkins. With me, as always, is Robert Hendershot. All right, Robert, good to talk to you. Hey, Don. So one th- I'm really interested in kind of uh, spending some time speculating with you on sort of where we're headed in light of the pandemic. But I mean that more along the side of where is kind of the you know work and the economy headed in the wake of the pandemic. And there's a number of interesting things that uh, uh, people are commenting on and kind of trends that we're already seeing. So one you know, the most obvious is increasing remote work. Uh, But there's also a lot of talk about the great resignation that is people quitting their jobs at, um, you know, really high rates. Some people, including I think the CEO of Microsoft have said, no, we should call it the great reshuffling because a lot of what's happening is that people are searching for jobs that are a better fit for them, that have more that better fit their values in life. We can talk more about that. And uh, we've definitely seen increased numbers of people starting businesses, whether freelance or even more traditional uh, kind of companies that are going to hire at really prominent rates. And so, I mean, I think this is, I think it's really interesting. And in part, just at a psychological level, I know for myself I was one of those people who always had in mind, you know, I'd really like to work for myself, do my own thing, but I had a very stable situation. It was very comfortable. And then the pandemic for all its downsides forced me to do something that looking back, I'm really glad I did. And I don't know how long, you know, I would have put it off, which was go out, start freelancing, working on my own. So, um, sort of one, I'd put it, though, as speculation because I think it's really hard to figure out what's happening right now. And even the economists talking about, you know, business formation point out, we don't know how many of these businesses really will come to fruition, how many of them will really end up hiring, let alone, you know, how many will succeed. So we're kind of dealing with some murky information at this point. Um, But sort of what are your thoughts on where we are and where we might be going? I like your word murky because that's an honest assessment of the future. You know, a couple of years ago, we thought we had a really good idea of how things worked and where things were going, and, and maybe we did. I, I kind of doubt it because something like COVID isn't expected, but something you know, throwing the plans off of the rails seems to be always uh, in, the, in the near future. Uh, so we don't know what's going to come along next, but we can be pretty sure that something is. And so when I look at what's going on in the world, you know, there's a lot of it is going to be discouraging because, you know, there's a I like the word reshuffling. There's a new world that's going to uh, emerge post-COVID. Uh, we don't know what's going to look like. We know that what we were doing before COVID, whether it was you or me or 300 million other Americans, is probably not going to be exactly what we are going to be doing post-COVID, and the difference may be really you know, significant. 
And some of that is because we might be living in a different world, but some of it's going to be for exactly what you experienced is you know, most of us are creatures of inertia and in the absence of some activation energy, we don't make significant changes, particularly when we're, we're you know, fairly satisfied and comfortable in whatever we're doing. But things do need to change, and there's going to be a lot of business failure because we don't know exactly what it is that are the opportunities going forward. A lot of these new businesses are probably uh, replacing businesses that have gone under in terms of uh, businesses that didn't survive or didn't thrive and were voluntarily euthanized during COVID. And, and that's really encouraging because, you know, at the beginning of COVID, there was this idea that if we just made everyone stay at home long enough and we sent out enough money, uh, we could bend the curve and bridge the gap and finish the pandemic exactly where we started and just continue as if nothing had happened. And that was always a crazy idea because something had happened and the world was going to change dramatically. And that does that's not a a dig against any of the policy actions that were taken in 2020 because there was no way to know what the right thing to do was. And I don't think today we still know what the right thing to do is. But that idea that we could come out of the pandemic and no one would change jobs and no businesses would shut down and we would just continue the way we were, it was, it was ludicrous. It was a fantasy. And so it's really encouraging to see new business being formed, to see businesses being shut down, to see people leaving their jobs and going out to do something new because we're in a new world. And that's the appropriate response. When things change, you want to change with them. Yeah. So this economist I really uh, like and have a lot of respect for, Arnold Kling. So he analyzes this through kind of a straightforward supply and demand situation and thinks that, I mean, basically what you had is, you know, pre-COVID, you more or less have kind of equilibrium in the economy and since then what you've in effect gotten is a bunch of non-monetary compensation for you know white collar remote and work from home employees and basically a uh, non-economic cost or non-monetary cost imposed on the blue collar workers who are many of the ones who are resigning who now you know have to engage in all of the hygiene theater and so on and so that really what's going to happen is um, you're going to have to see those wages change and that, you know, that's going to kind of reconstitute the pattern. And there's, there definitely seems to be something to that, though I am more inclined to, you know, what I've seen the CEOs of Microsoft and um, there's another one where they focused much more on sort of people have taken a time out to think like, what do I really want to be doing? And certainly the people I've talked to have made major changes. Um, they, there's been some, you know, oh, I found a you know better paying job or something like this or a less annoying job. But a lot of it has been, um, you know, I was working 60 hours a week and did I really want to be doing that? And I got to take this time out and kind of pick something different that sort of better fit my life. And you can put that in kind of standard and e in standard economic terms. Um, but it seems like it's more of a dramatic shift than simply, you know, some blue collar workers want to be paid more because they have to wear masks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a big uh, positive unintended consequence of, the lockdowns and 
the massive fiscal and monetary support is that we had this pause where no one, uh, not no one, uh, where a lot of people had a lot of extra time, things that they had been doing, whether it was working or whether it was commuting, it, they were no longer doing and they had time to reassess in the midst of a crisis, which is really unusual. If you think about our previous crisis, the financial crisis in the late, in, in basically late 2008 through 2011, uh, where you had a massive dislocation. You had all these people in the, the um, real estate, particularly the residential real estate construction industry. You had all these people in finance that were doing things that were high value a few years earlier and now we're in zero demand and that's not a situation where you have time to sit back and think about well what do I really want to do? unless you're in a, a particularly good financial situation you're at that point you're panicking you're trying to just figure out what to do what you can do out of anything and so in COVID you know it's another crisis but it's a very slow moving crisis because you're not allowed to do anything and there's a lot of support whether it's um, the, the shift to remote work and that freeing up people's time and giving them other options or it, it, you know, direct cash payments, whatever it was, the, the payroll protection program. There are a bunch of different policy responses that weren't really intended for people to have time to sit back and say, you know, what do I really want out of my career? What do I really want to be doing at this stage of my life? And that's valuable. Uh, we talked about unintended consequences last week and it's always nice when you know you get some that are i think are really valuable yeah although one uh kind of downside that i forget whether it was you or your own brooke who raised this to me when we were talking last week is um so i mean overall i think the fact that we're integrating remote work more into the workforce is a, is a positive but one of you were making the point that what we're seeing is that it's primarily younger people who are interested in remote work, and yet it's younger people who tend to benefit most from in-person connection. So we've written, for instance, on research that shows that um, co-authored papers by scientists uh, tend to do better and get more citations, but it, um, those scientists need not work together, but they tend to have established an in-person connection. If you think about you're a young person, you don't have that many connections yet, certainly probably not in your industry. And I know that like a lot of the work I do today, including working with Iran, came from the fact that I spent, you know, 15 years or whatever it was in person with these people building up in-person relationships, you know, going out to dinner, spending time at people's houses. And so I do worry about sort of the long-term consequences where you don't get those uh, in-person networks built up by people who are moving remote because, you know, it does have the benefits of flexibility and um, everything else that goes along with it. I think the same thing is true in uh, people who are early in their career is true for college students, high school students, uh, middle school, elementary, that remote has its advantages. Uh, and if you are really committed and disciplined and are working with someone who is also committed and disciplined, it can definitely be a net advantage. Uh, but it's easily going to flow into becoming a detriment. It's There's research now that is very clearly finding that remote schooling is... Um, 
causing students to get only about 90% of what they would have been expected to get from in-school, you know, in-person schooling. Um, I know from my own experience that uh, Zoom-based classes are nowhere near as uh, conductive to the kind of um, non-rote, sophisticated learning that students should be getting in their college classes. And it has to be the same that young people who are you know, either informally or informally being mentored in the workplace are going to suffer from this. And you know, there's been a huge transfer of, I don't even know what the right word is, I'm going to say value, but it's a broader concept than that. There's been a huge transfer from the young to the old during this pandemic. The young are at less risk from the disease and they're at more risk from the lockdowns and vice versa, the older you get. Uh, and so that is, that is a major concern, I think. On the other hand, uh, the ability to sit back and reflect on what do I want to be doing at this stage in my life is a lot more valuable if you're in your 30s than if you're in your 50s because there's just a lot more life, particularly professional life, ahead of you. And uh, similarly, if you, if from a societal perspective, there are real costs to connection to having everyone staying at home and only seeing each other on computer screens. That's absolutely true. But the, this uh, reshuffling, the great resignation has the potential to be uh, produce really interesting results in terms of connection because just like in our careers, in our networks, we tend to settle into here are the people I work with, here are the people I interact with, here are the people I exchange ideas with. And there's a lot of inertia. And we know from uh, Silicon Valley that when you shuffle people around, you end up with unexpected and very, very creative ideas and, and innovations emerging because people are then challenged or exposed to different things than they would have otherwise been. So I think that, and this is all going to be a very long-term process, but that as we move 10, 20 years down the road where you know the pandemic is, is a distant memory where... Now we have five common cold viruses instead of four that uh, we'll still be reaping the benefits of the fact that people are interacting and working together in 2035 uh, that wouldn't have been if we hadn't had this shift back in uh, 2021. Uh, one point on the kind of, you know, difficulties of remote work and what happens when you're not disciplined. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, there's a story that's kind of making the rounds where the CEO of better.com, which is kind of a recent unicorn, just laid off 900 people and uh, basically said, you've only been working two hours a day. So you're in effect stealing from the company and they're getting a bad publicity, but I, I, I don't doubt <laughs> that probably uh, has happened a lot though. It's interesting. I mean, um, obviously if you can identify, wow, we, my employees haven't been doing enough. That's one thing. But I think one one other reason that remote work has flourished is because it's turned out for many people that they can do their job in, you know, four or five hours a day of kind of focused work when they don't have to be looking busy. And um, we talked, I think, about the story of, or I know we wrote in the newsletter about the story of uh, some people would hold down two full-time jobs, not letting each employer know. And which sounded like a complete nightmare, but um, you know they 
they made it work. Um, I think that if you have, you know, if so, I you know, I run a small company, uh, and if you have employees that you trust, uh, and trust is a big deal. It's something that we talk a lot about. It's something that impacts uh, collaboration and connection. It's something that is really essential to a modern economy where you have division of labor, where ingenuism is at work. Uh, but if you have employees that you trust, this is really not an issue because essentially you've always been trusting them. It's just you made them come to the office so that you could verify or monitor some. So that, that's where you get into the looking busy or uh, handle, you know, work, spending time working to make sure that you don't have too much work so you can get it all done without having to work too hard. It's a, it's a very uh, unfulfilling situation, I imagine. Um, and having a, having a results-oriented organization where you, if you can do your work in three hours, that's fine. And maybe let's talk about what, what else, what other projects you want to be working on and you know, what other productivity you might generate, which you know, eventually is going to come back to you in terms of higher salaries at this job or in future jobs then that's something that could be a win-win for both sides. You know, just saying to 900 people that you've only been working two hours a day, even if it's true, uh, as a CEO, it's kind of, it's kind of a cop-out. Uh, and you have an opportunity here to, in the same way that people are thinking their individual careers, to, to rethink how you want to organize and run your business. I know people who had offices in um, Manhattan and they are now spread out among you know, very, a variety of countries, not just states, and feel like they're just as productive. But it takes something. It doesn't just happen on its own. Now, one of the interesting things, and I guess this is sort of what you'd predict, right, is that um, most of the kind of new businesses that are being created are in the industries most affected by the pandemic. So this is from, uh, let's see, what do they call the Economic Innovation Group? Um, they put it as nearly three quarters of the gains over 2019 levels. This is the gains in new business creation. Though I think they're only looking at uh, new business creation, businesses that are not sole proprietorship. So if their business is likely to hire is the way that they'll frame it. Uh, so three quarters of the gains in twenty over 2019 levels appear in just four industry sectors, accommodation and food services, retail trade, healthcare and social assistance, and transportation and warehousing. These sectors typically produce large numbers of business applications under normal economic conditions, but they also make up an outsized portion of gains recorded during the pandemic. And um, so it's not... It's not looking like basically what happens is, you know, everybody said, all right, I'm going to uh, pursue my dreams. And then they run off and start like a video gaming company, though presumably that's happened here and there. But it's it seems much more people are using the opportunity to create businesses and creating them in areas where there's probably new opportunity given the failures of businesses and the shifts in the market in terms of people aren't going out as much or you know, they're looking for a different kind of dining experience. Um, so it seems 
that it really is a response to our need to kind of adjust to changing circumstances, not simply, okay, there's kind of freedom and now people are just going to go off in totally different directions. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but the two do align. Uh, if, if everyone were clinging to what they were doing in 2019, white knuckled that they wanted to do the exact same thing, that would be a huge problem. And of course, there are problems created by people deciding they want to do different things. If uh, you have 10% of nurses resigning from their full-time positions because now they want to become travel nurses because their, their partner or their spouse is much more flexible, that creates real challenges for hospitals. Uh, but that's the way, that's the way that uh, an economy evolves is you have new opportunities, you have people reaching for those opportunities and then the the remaining folks in whatever sector we might be talking about have to respond to both the changing opportunities and the changing preferences of the people in the sector yeah and i wonder how much of the difference between because you mentioned at the outset i think this is important like the experience we're having now is so vastly different from with the great recession I mean, the Great Recession, um, part of w what you saw was the complete opposite, which is the total slowdown in business, new business creation, which indeed we still haven't reached kind of pre-2008 levels as far as the numbers that I've seen. Um, you know, we've only very slowly started to recover from that. And I mean, I wonder how much of it is you know, in, in 2008, a lot of what was disrupted were sort of these industries where you just, it started to attract a lot of people because you could almost effortlessly make money. So it had very much kind of bubble-like conditions, even if, you know, some economists might say, well, it wasn't technically a bubble because look at what has happened to real estate since. Um, whereas here, you're having a much more broad-based, like a an outside factor has just un, uh, upended actually valuable jobs and so and so the results are going to be very different um for that reason any thoughts on well a lot the, of you know why, why like why is the outcome so different aside from just the fact that it's slower moving well it's funny because uh it is slower moving those are, were my words but in a lot of ways it wasn't slower moving like the crisis was it all came upon us over the course of a few weeks in march of 2020 we went from um, life as as usual just going through our day to complete lockdowns and in the financial crisis you had this it was almost like a snowball rolling downhill. You had pieces of the financial system, um, you know, mostly starting off with subprime mortgages that started rolling down the hill, and then they just picked up additional pieces of the financial system. And you, so you had huge parts of the financial system that ended up being locked up that had no relationship to real estate. And this kind of contagion, you know, there were... A, there was a particular type of municipal securities that would auction off uh, to set the rates on a regular basis. Uh, so they were floating rate securities, but with this weird mechanism. And in the middle of the crisis, no one was bidding on anything. And so this whole market, a you know, multi-billion uh, dollar market, just locked up. And no one would have ever expected that. 
And we haven't seen that kind of contagion in the uh, COVID crisis. And I think that drives a lot of this, that in, uh, when, you, when the financial system gets involved, uh, it, it gets really weird. Things spread in ways that you wouldn't have anticipated. And that's a lot of why there was so much money thrown into the financial system in this crisis, because uh, there was a fear that if the, all the banks went under and stopped lending, then this would become a depression. And it, it seems laughable now, given that we're you know, battling inflation and uh, the rebound, uh, the economic rebound was so, was so quick. But that was a, a real and I think legitimate fear based on what had happened in the previous crisis as things get worse in the financial system more and more of it seizes up and that starts to spill over into the real economy and so having uh, a very quick response and uh, you know having a lot of money flow into the system had its benefits and it meant that you don't have that same kind of contagion you don't have uh, for example, in the early 2010s, banks were very reluctant to lend. Uh, they, they were under a microscope. Uh, they were sh uh, generally thin on capital. Uh, they had problem loans uh, from real estate lending they had done before the crisis that they were still dealing with. There were banks failing. If they wanted to do something, kind of the most profitable thing was to, to buy a failed competitor and get paid a bunch by the FDIC. It was a weird world, and that never happened. Right now, banks are flush with deposits, which means they could lend massive amounts more than they're currently lending. Uh, the banks came into the crisis well capitalized. Uh, there were very few loan losses because of all the support and the quick rebound from uh, COVID. And so it's turned into something where if you want to start a business in, say, 2012, uh, you're swimming upstream versus if you want to start a business, uh, say in 2022, there are, there's a lot of money out there that's available that's looking for a, a good investment opportunity, whether it's banks or venture capital or you fill in the blank. There's a lot of money available for good ideas. Yeah, well, I mean, let me end on a, a positive then because like other people have made this point. I think we've made this point in the past, like, you know, if you if you had to have a pandemic, I mean, thankfully, we're at this point in the level of connection in the economy where we were able to kind of do so much virtually and thereby, you know, avoid kind of a lot of the nightmare scenarios that would have occurred in a world where we couldn't do that. And um, on the other hand, it makes it easier to pass draconian uh, laws because it's all right, at least you can you know, talk on on Zoom. Um, but I think just, it just shows the, 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 the power of progress and connection to have surprisingly important upsides that you would have never anticipated, right? Like the fact that there were people out there in Silicon Valley figuring out how to give us kind of free video phone conferencing for the last, you know, 15 years or whatever. Um, like sometimes that would even be trivialized in in discussions that i remember having with people about you know it's kind of a cute feature but you wouldn't put a big economic dollar value on it and uh that's why they had to do it for free and then you think like you know the upside is that it basically made life tolerable and indeed for some people gave them a huge new upside in their work that 
we would have never that very few people would have predicted beforehand and it it flows back from there too uh, because zoom wouldn't have survived the incredible spike in demand for their service if modern cloud computing hadn't been developed the decade before i mean there's never been a time where you could ramp up a service like zoom so quickly and so effectively just it was it would have been impossible and so there's and then there's all that goes into that which is hardware and software and uh, managing the system and the investments that were made you know there's everything that set us up is a just a great example of how clever people, ingenious people, are always laying the foundation for success no matter what comes along. And then you know, the response to the pandemic or the next crisis is empowered by those, those initial, those earlier uh, innovations. And so ingenuity is what's got us through the pandemic, but it's not just what people have done since the pandemic started. It was an enormous amount of work that went in to making the economy more flexible, to making computing more reliable and more robust so that we could actually execute this shift to remote work and keep the world running even though we were all sitting in our basements. Uh, but it's not just the, uh, the virtual world. I mean, I. We will see, but I would not be surprised if the supply chain mess um, were to be worked out in 2022, even in the first quarter of 2022, because people are just really smart, particularly when there's an obvious, well-defined problem. And this is something that, you know, has been a... uh, it's hard to say what, what caused it. We've talked about it, but I don't think anyone really knows why we're in a dire situation or how to get out of it. I'm just confident that people will figure out how to rejigger and recreate the supply chain so that it goes back to we're always, you know, everything that we want is always at our fingertips. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I was seeing articles even around Thanksgiving that we were already starting to see signs that that was happening. So I'm optimistic as well. All right. Thanks, Robert. And thanks, everybody, for listening. The best way to stay in touch is to go into ingenuism.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter. We will talk next week.